Gather round and listen to tales of great adventure and brave heroes. Tales of daring individuals fighting monsters and claiming treasure. Tales of bards trying to get into the pants of savage beasts to avoid losing a fight. Tales of people drinking beer, eating pizza, and rolling dice. Tales of people losing their minds over the things that happen to people who only exist in their mind. This is Roland Bones, and I am Ryan Howard. Welcome, everyone, to Rolling Bones with Ryan Howard. The spookiest place for your RPG interviews. I am the Count of RPG Podcasts, Ryan Howard. And I am totally not going to do that voice for the entire episode. I promise. So, happy Halloween, everyone. This is our Halloween special coming out on Halloween by Thunder. I did it. I pulled it off. I got an episode out on Halloween. I am very excited for this one because we are talking to a man who is working on an RPG for my favorite horror franchise of all time, that being Alien. So we are talking to Andrew E. Gaska, who has worked all over the the video game world and the comic world for a long time. And one of the things that he's done is he's freelanced for 20th Century Fox as far as uh, the Planet of the Apes and alien licenses are concerned. And now he's using that knowledge of the alien world to create a new alien RPG. I'm not even going to beat around the bush. We're going to jump right into today's episode after, of course... I give a shout out to a former guest on the show. Uh, congratulations to Jackie Zanto for uh, for getting married a couple weeks ago. I actually meant to shout this out on uh, last week's episode, but I got kind of distracted by the whole Eldritch Foundry thing. Uh, so Jackie, congratulations! I'm I'm happy for you and your husband. I hope you guys get off to a good start. I know as a as a newlywed myself, uh, early marriage can be scary, but it's also a lot of fun. So best of luck to you, Jackie, and happy Halloween to all of you out there listening to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard. If you have a friend who's into RPGs and into Alien and is not listening to the show, this is the one to share with them. This is a lot of fun, so without further ado, I'm going to be talking to Andrew E. Gaska about the Alien RPG. I hope you enjoy it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, as promised, in honor of All Hallows' Eve, we are here to talk about a role-playing game for my favorite horror franchise of all time, that being Alien. And I am joined by a man who has done many things in his illustrious career. Uh, He's been a a creator for Lion Forge. Um, He's a freelance franchise consultant for 20th Century Fox. He's worked all over the comics and game world. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Andrew E. Gaska. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. Oh, no problem at all. All right, so Andrew, we are going to start this episode the same way that we start every single episode. I'm going to ask you these same questions that I ask everyone. So, Andrew, how did you get into RPGs? I mean, I don't know how exactly how to answer that question because it was a very, very long time ago. Uh, I just knew that I know that friends of mine were playing them in about fourth grade. Mm-hmm. And um, I 
for Christmas, my mom got me the uh, the red Dungeons and Dragons basic box set. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is back in the early '80s. Um, if that gives you any perspective here, um, and I got all excited and I made my first level character, and uh, then I went over to my friend's house to play, and they all were playing advanced Dungeons and Dragons instead. <laughs> so they made some marks on my character sheet, and they were about to go into the Temple of Elemental Evil. And they just brought me along with them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, but these, these guys were kind of jerks. And they got into fights with each other while they were playing. So next thing you know, they were all killing each other in the Temple of Elemental Evil, and I just snuck away. <laughs> and the, uh, the Game Master, the Dungeon Master later on picked me up uh, as a separate thing to get me the hell out of the temple. And then after that, I was like, screw this, I'm Game Mastering myself. <laughs> And that was pretty much like that's probably one of ten times I've actually played instead of game master. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> of all the games that you've run in your time, um, if you can possibly pick between the systems that you've run, what's your favorite game system? Oh, but there's no question. The West End Games uh, Star Wars was my favorite. It's a, it's just simple to use, and it was the first time. I know lots of games do this now, but it was the first time where you're like supposed to pick up like. 20 dice at once to throw them, <laughs> you know, like, and that, that was just like a different thing than what we were used to. And it was just fun. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I know that you've said that you, you've only played like 10 or so times. You mostly GM. Has there ever been a character that you've been able to play that you have found particularly memorable or one that you, you cherish the memory of, of playing that character? Uh, it's that first character because, um, I used him, as an NPC in most of the campaigns I've ever game mastered. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I just did the same thing with him every time everybody would get into a big fight. He'd just put on the elven cloak and disappear. Um, so, no, I just, I, he, he's become a trope for me. So, I, I, I love that character. So, it's, uh, he's a thief. Yeah, no, it's just, it's ridiculous. He never died. I think he was, uh, he's at 20th level or something like that when I stopped. <laughs> so, um, but, you know, I, it's it's weird. It's a different type of scenario because uh, I did play Star Trek a few times. Uh, that I had fun with uh, the phase of Star Trek game, and that and BattleTech are probably the only other two games that I've played without game mastering. You know, so. Um, but it's like one of the interesting things is that a lot of the gaming that I would do was we one on one sessions with people. <laughs> so it, it it took take it takes on a different dynamic at that point where it really just becomes the two of you working together to make this story in a lot of ways. Every GM kind of ends up developing their own style of how they like to run things. So so what would you say your style as a GM is? Uh, I'll take whatever the players want to do and I'll adapt the story around it. Uh, especially if they're going to do something really stupid. <laughs> I love when players do stupid things. Yeah, so with Charity of Gods, one of the things I kept in mind was uh, that players like to go off on strange binges so, you know, I was thinking, okay, this makes sense when I was writing this room or, or, or this event that needs to happen. But then I thought, okay, I know players, I'm going to do this stupid thing instead. So I worked a lot of that stuff in, and that's one of the reasons why uh, a lot of people who've played the pre-release have said that you can play it like five times and it's not the same either time uh, because there's all those options there. So I, I, I you know... I never appreciated a game master who just says, "Oh, it, the book says the book says no, you can't do that. I, you're going to take us out of the adventure." 
you got to adapt around there. There's ways to make the players come back around to it because they realize they've made a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I, 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 I like ad-libbing, I guess. So in all of your time playing RPGs, um, I know there's a lot of great memories that are made around the table, but what would you say is your fondest RPG memory? Yeah, that would, that, I mean, it, again, it's, it's one of those uh, one-on-one gaming sessions. Mm-hmm. Uh, my best friend from high school, Jason. Um, Jason's, uh, a little backstory, Jason's parents had broken up and moved to different parts of the country, and he wanted to finish school where we were. So my parents actually became his legal guardian for a while. And there was a lot of stress because of all this, what was going on in his family and whatnot. And we were playing two, we were playing, uh, uh, he was playing his character and I was being his character's nephew who'd gotten into trouble. And we started arguing and it like became almost like a real argument. And it like afterwards we felt like we had purged all the stress of the day. So it's like I know it's 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 not a typical thing you probably hear either, but um, but yeah, no, it's 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 I've always found role playing like sort of therapeutic like that, where it's like you could really deal with issues that's going on um, and vent your frustrations about things in a really fun game instead of uh, instead of internalizing stuff. So I guess it's it's the the role part of it that I enjoy. Understood. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's a lot of why I come to the table, too. I've, I've definitely found some role-playing sessions to be therapeutic. So, kind of bringing it down a little bit, unfortunately, with this next question. Um, Uh-oh. <laughs> we share the table as, as game masters with a whole variety of people. Some of them are fantastic, and some of them aren't so great. And there's a particular strand of player that we like to call that guy. So, Andrew... <laughs> What is your best or worst that guy story? Wow, I don't know if I have one for this. <laughs> um, we may need to come back to this one. I need to think about it. So this is this is an interesting interview. I'm so used to having the same questions all the time. So, gotcha. all right. So again, th- there's all kinds of things that that happen around the table role playing. And there's a lot of things that just seem to kind of come with the territory when you're playing RPGs. And some of them, as game masters, we grow to love and, and cherish and enjoy. But some things that seem to come with the territory of RPGs, we just can't stand. So, Andrew, what is your least favorite RPG cliche? In the games themselves? Because like, my, my pet peeve is, and, and this probably sounds obnoxious, but game masters don't really know how to game master. So I don't know. You think that that counts for this? Yeah, yeah, fair enough. I've run into that. I mean, I don't know how many times you know I've seen it, and that's why. Well, let me rephrase that. I know how many times because I've only played ten times. But <laughs> but um, but you know, it, it's it's like there's always a guy who starts reading. And this kind of answers your other question too. It's that guy. <laughs> it's the game master who um, goes and says uh, he's reading from the book. And he starts reading the section out loud that's meant for him to read instead of to read to the players. So he starts talking about you guys as the PCs instead of talking about your characters. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting. It's an, game mastering is an art that a lot of people think they can do. The ones who can do it, do it amazing. And, and um, But it's just like... Gaming can become a train wreck. I mean, a, 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 another one of those uh, 
another one of those guys um, is the one who just wants to kill everything. You know, uh, we, we've all had him. Um, and he's almost as bad as that Game Master, because no matter what you come up across, he's going to try and kill it. And then what usually happens is someone tries to kill him to make him stop. It's disruptive, but at the same time, there's ways to build a story around that disruption. Because, I mean, when your players start fighting with each other, that's when you have something more important to sneak up on them. You know, and, and you can get them back on track with stuff like that. Yeah, so so I guess I guess on both ends of the spectrum, it's the player who, who thinks it's just, uh, he's playing a video game for points. And it's the GM who really shouldn't be GMing. Have you ever had a specific instance of either that was that was particularly heinous? I'm going to pass on that because I don't want to call. <laughs> I, think, I think they're on my Facebook page, so let's just, let's just move on. You can keep this part in, but let's just move yeah. on to that. <laughs> you're, you're going to get me in trouble, man. <laughs> Live on Rolling Bones, Andrew Gaska digs himself into a hole with his players. No, it's more like you're digging the hole for me, and I just fall into it. <laughs> I refuse to answer on the grounds of me incriminate me. All right, so so moving on to uh, what has become a a favorite of guests uh, throughout all of my episodes. Uh, this is a question, the answer to which can be as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want it to be. Okay. Andrew, if you could put anything on a t-shirt, what would it be? If anything on a t-shirt? Absolutely. Dude, seriously, <laughs> what is with these questions? <laughs> You're like the ultimate interviewer. You know how to catch people off guard completely. If you could put anything on a t-shirt, holy crap, you've caught me completely off guard. <laughs> wow. Uh, anything on a t-shirt. Mm-hmm. Any image, any message. <laughs> Holy cow. I, 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 this may be your worst interview yet because I don't know <laughs> if I can do that off the top of my head. Is this one that we'll have to come back to? Yes, we're going to have to come back to it. <laughs> Jesus. I should have sent these questions in advance. Man. Yeah, maybe that would have been a good idea. <laughs> Whatever, this is going to sound really fun to people, so it doesn't matter. Yep. <laughs> Moving away from RPGs for just a little bit, I want to talk some about your your career as a writer, and I, I want to know kind of how you got started in the world of writing, be it comics or novels or, or wherever you want to start with that. Um, I mean, I always attribute game mastering to really me developing my writing, mm-hmm. um, but uh, I know that, like, uh, even when I was younger, when I was a kid and playing with Star Wars figures and kids would come over uh, to play, there'd always be some kid who brought another Luke Skywalker figure. And I'd be, like, obsessed with continuity. I'd be like, you can't have two Luke Skywalker figures. So I'd tell that kid that one of these Luke Skywalkers is a clone and the other characters have to try and figure out which one's the clone. And so I was, like, building stories even when I was, like, seven years old, um, six or seven. But the um, I decided I was going to go into comics, but I thought I was going to be an artist um, because I was drawing all my life. And when I was in high school, um, I was one of the, you know, top artists in my grades. And... Um, I went to the School of Visual Arts uh, in Manhattan uh, as college, and when you get there, all those kids were that person in their school. So now you have all the top kids, and I quickly realized I am not 
the top of these top kids in my art. You know, it's, I had, I had, I was really good at concept design, but my rendering was nowhere near what some of these other people could do. Um, so I started to have a crisis of faith in regards to what I'd chosen to do for school. And, um, in sophomore year, uh, there was a writing for comics class and I decided to take it. And, uh, the, the teacher was Denny O'Neill of, of Batman fame. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was in the 90s, um, this, so, so Nightfall was developing and everything while I was there in this class. Um, and I, I took that class for a year, and Denny really loved my work, and I, I was getting great grades, and then I started thinking about being a writer. And um, the next year, my parents couldn't afford to send me to school anymore. And so uh, at, the, at the end... Halfway through junior year, I, I told I told Denny, I was like, hey, I just want to let you know I'm not going to be back next semester, and it's not because I don't like your class or anything. And he's like, oh, no, that's unacceptable. I'm like, well, I mean, there's nothing I can do about it. And he's like, he's like no, I'm going to take you out to lunch, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, every two weeks, and we're going to work on scripts together. Blah, blah. I was like, Denny, I can't afford to pay you to tutor me. He's like, no, I just think you have a lot of talent, so this is what I want to do. And he really helped keep me on track with that, uh, nurturing what I, what apparently I was good at. Um, so I dropped out of school because of that, and I was still doing stuff with Denny. And then um, I finally, five years later, I was like, "What am I doing with my life?" And I decided to go back to college on my own dime, finished it up. And it wasn't really till I started making money doing work in Photoshop that I realized. I needed to do something with my writing career because otherwise it never was going to be one. Um, and I went into a comic shop uh, and I saw there was a new Planet of the Apes comic. And I was like, oh, this is great. Who's doing this? Is it Marvel? Is it DC? And it was a company called Mr. Comics. And I was like, if Mr. Bleepin' Comics can get a license to do this, why can't I? And I was making good money working for Rockstar Games at the time, uh, doing uh, um, uh, art stuff for them, computer art stuff. And so I hired an entertainment lawyer and went after a few licenses and wound up getting Planet of the Apes as, as one of them. Because uh, Mr. Comics, uh, they were actually at the end of their license. And um, so I thought, okay, I've been trained to write comics. I'm going to be writing comics. Went to have a meeting with the licensing people at Fox and um, they were unhappy with what had happened with Mr. Comics in regards to Planet of the Apes license. So they... Um, when I started mentioning what I wanted to do, they were like, wait a minute, you want to do comics? Oh, because we really don't want to do comics after what happened. And I was like, when I say comics, I kind of mean prose with paintings, sort of like Aliens Tribes. And I just pulled that out of my ass. And it turned out that the woman who was in charge of licensing over there, Debbie Olshon, she's she doesn't work there anymore, but she was in charge at the time. She's like, Aliens Tribes was my favorite project I've ever worked on in licensing. You got your license. So I just, you know, got lucky. And then I was like, okay, I've never written prose except for like some short stuff in creative, you know, creative writing classes. So that was scary. And uh, originally I was working with two other writers, but then they dropped out. And so I was writing this this, this novel on my own. Uh, and that was terrifying. And then it came out and it, people really liked it. So I was like, okay, I guess I know how to do this. Um which is interesting to me because similar situation happened. Um, if I jump ahead a little bit here with the alien game, um, 
originally I was just hired to do the uh, the back background material. Uh, I was a settings writer, um, and that's because of my connection with Fox, my knowledge about the franchise, and um, for whatever reason, the their adventure writer dro- dropped out or whatever, and so they're like, hey, do you want to take a stab at writing this adventure? And I'm like, I mean, I did it for 22 years playing with my own friends, so I was like, all right, let's give it a shot, see if I can do this professionally. You know, and uh, from all the positive feedback I'm getting, it's, I'm really excited that I did um, because it looks like it looks like uh, it, it looks like it's being well received. So I must be doing something right with it. And I just think it's funny because it's like you know, I started off thinking I was going to be an artist, and then I started then I was going to be doing comics, and then it became novels, and now it becomes games. And it's like I think I think you just have to really like, even if you're not sure if you can do it, you have to pursue it. And see what happens. You know, there's there's plenty of things. I the, the artist thing. I realized, okay, no, this isn't for me. But I didn't want to give up on the creative industry. So, um, but yeah. So that's kind of a long-winded way. Again, into writing, starting with Star Wars figures, and ending here with Alien games. I mean, we just have to take a, a, a further detour from from games here for a minute because I did not know that you got to uh, you got to personally sit under the the learning tree of one of the greatest comic writers of all time. I've got Denny's book on how to write comics here on my shelf. Oh yeah. That, that comics is based on what his lessons for the class. I mean, that book, that book is based on the lessons for the class. So yeah, no, that, that, that's a great book. Um, yeah, no, I, I went to SVA at the right time because Denny was my writing teacher. Carmine Infantino was my uh, layout teacher. Um, created the flash and Batgirl. Yeah. Um, and uh, Walter Simonson was my graphic novel teacher. Oh my God! <laughs> Jansen was my inking teacher. <laughs> um, and then um, when Denny left, John Ostrander became the writing teacher. Oh God! I think I got everybody there, but yeah, I was like, oh, that's right. My portfolio teacher was Joe Orlando. <laughs> so, so it was like it was an amazing time to be at that school. Mm-hmm. And and um, you know I. I I'm so happy I went there. You know, didn't didn't wind up an artist, uh, although I did do uh, you know computer art for 17 years, um, but I never took a computer class there. But the point is, is that you know uh, you, you I met all these great people and got to learn from them firsthand. So, yeah, for those of you listening along at home who aren't as familiar with the comic world, uh, Andrew just kind of laid out basically. Five decades worth of absolute legends in in the realm of comics. So yes, you were definitely there at the right time. Yeah. <laughs> no, I I, I I didn't even realize it as it was happening. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, uh, you know, sophomore year I had my layout class and it was Carmen Infantino and I didn't I don't know who the hell that was. And he's comes he says you know the first day of class he's like my name is Carmen Infantino perhaps you've heard of me <laughs> I created the Flash I created Batgirl. And then I drew this little comic called Star Wars in the 70s. And I, then I was like, oh, my God, it's the guy who draws everybody really angular. <laughs> you know, because, <laughs> because Princess Leia had, like, square buns on her ears. And that, was that comic, I mean, I love that comic growing up. I'm like, I'm sitting here, you know, about to be taught how to do layout by the guy whose comics I've stared at the most in life, you know. So it, it really was a great time. Absolutely. And, and lest we get sidetracked, because I've met other students of Carmine's and they had some interesting things to say about how he would run classes. 
Yeah, Carmine. Carmine was a piece of work. He 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 was eccentric. That's the, the simplest way to put it. So, and and he took a liking to me. You know, I would say I would say Joe Orlando, Denny, and Carmine were the three that I really connected with. You know, I, I'm still friendly with Walt and and several of the others, but it's it's just like those guys were great. And Joe Orlando, Joe Orlando had some uh, very interesting teaching techniques. If you want me to tell a quick story about that, or go for it. Okay, <clears throat> so. Um, yeah, so Joe gave us an assignment. We came in for the first day of portfolio class in senior year. Joe gave us an assignment and just told us to go home. Didn't tell us, you know, anything about the assignment. Just said, this is what you want you to do. I want, I want five pages. It's got to be this, and you got to bring it in next week. And so we come in the next week and we put it up on the wall. Uh, and he looks at them all and he tells us that we're all terrible, and we're never going to amount to anything in this industry, and we're not worth his time. So we can use this class to study for our other classes if we want and he's just going to sit up there and uh we don't have to do art here because we're all worthless <laughs> i was like <laughs> okay so you know it's like at that point i had i was going back to school it wasn't my first time around so it was all on my dime um so i was sitting there and like the first week i was like okay you know he's just pissed this week next week is going to be different and no the second week it would, he, the third week, I mean, he was just doing the same thing. He was like, he's like, yeah, do your homework, whatever. And so I went up to his desk and I said to him, I said, okay, I know it sucks, but can you tell me why it sucks? And he's like, it took two weeks for someone to come up here and ask me that. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he wanted from us. <laughs> so then we learned. <laughs> so, yeah, he's a very interesting person. Turns out Joe Orlando is the Mr. Miyagi of comics. <laughs> <laughs> I never thought of it that way, but I guess you're right. Yeah, totally. Gotcha. So, kind of getting back into the the realm of Alien, uh, just just to see where you where you are, kind of with with this franchise. Uh, when was the first time you saw Alien? <laughs> um, so I was I wasn't into scary movies when I was a kid, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, I had seen the cover of the novel because my mother had all these. My mother would ride the subway to work, so she would always have some, you know, movie tie-in novels. This whole shelf of them. And when she wasn't home, I'd go and look at them, and um, with all the scary ones, what I would do is I'd grab one off the shelf, randomly open it up to some page, read that page, and then close it. Scary. <laughs> so I read some really weird pages in Alien out of context that way um and then alien was gonna be on tv and my mother didn't want me she sent me to bed she didn't want me to stay up and see it and so i got up to go to the bathroom and you know like an hour later or something like that and um i'm walking towards the living room and i'm hearing all this noise in the living room and i walked in on the chestburster scene (laughs) (laughs) so that was my (laughs) I was horrified, and then I went right back to bed, and um, like a half hour later, I snuck out again. My mom's like, what are you doing? And you're like, well, I I mean, now I kind of want to know what's going on. So, yeah, I didn't get to see Alien, except for that little glimpse, um, until after Aliens came out. Um, Because Aliens came out, and everybody was raving about it. Um, So And I didn't see it in the theater, because, you know... Uh, we didn't really go to scary films, although my my mother did take us to see Poltergeist for some reason, uh, which terrified the hell out of me. But regardless, 
Um, it's one of my favorite movies now. But um, one of my friends got Aliens on VHS when it came out in, in uh, you know, what, late 86, I guess it was on VHS. Maybe, maybe that was early 87. Regardless. Um, and I loved it. And then we saw Alien, and it just became one of my favorite franchises. And I actually like Alien 3, which most people don't. I actually really love the assembly cut of Alien 3. I don't know if you have seen it or not. So I actually have not seen any of any cut of Alien 3. I've only seen Alien and Aliens because I've heard so much bad stuff about all of the other ones that I've just kind of been afraid to watch them. Yeah, but, man, you can't, you don't know if you'll like it until you see it. It's the Fair only, enough. only way to know, right? right. You know, I, I really, I really, I get into arguments online with people who are like saying, oh, that movie sucks, and I'm like, it's clear from talking to them they've never seen it. You know, so it's like, I mean, I'm not saying you're saying they suck, I'm saying you just stayed away from it. But, um, but it's like, yeah, we don't know. I mean, it may be your favorite thing in the world. Or you may be like, oh, yeah, that really did suck, didn't it? <laughs> so uh, my, my mission for you now is that you have to watch Alien 3 for Halloween. All right. I will do it. I'll watch Alien 3. Awesome. Don't watch Alien 4, though. No. <laughs> it's terrible. But no, you should watch it anyway, but it's terrible. And I will watch it on a day where I have trouble remembering all of the different things I've heard about people's different passes of the script of Alien 3, so I have none of that cluttering my mind. Right, right. Yeah, they recently released uh, Gibson's version of Alien 3. Um, and what do you call it? Interestingly enough, I didn't think the comic, maybe it's because I didn't read it all in one shot, I read it as issues, but I felt the comic was a little disjointed. Um, but then the audio adaptation of it that I listened to was brilliant, I thought. It was done really well. And then I went back and reread the comic in one shot, and it was much better to me. So I, I think the way it broke up, it just didn't really work as issues. But um, it's it's still not a... It, it's the, Alien 3 is closure to the first part of the Alien cycle. The William Gibson one would have just started it into a new direction. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. But I really think that the film we got... Especially the assembly cut, which has got like a half an hour of extra footage in it, and it's, the story is much more developed. I really think it's a, it's a really good movie. Is that the the version you'd recommend that I watch? Yeah. In in discussing the Alien franchise, I do have to ask you, uh, what is your favorite film of the franchise? I mean, Alien. Okay. No question. Um, you know, I, when I was younger, it was Aliens, um, but then I realized. I realized that there was, uh, at the risk of sounding weird, something magical about what was going on with that first movie. Um, those characters are so realistic because, like, Ridley let them ad lib their lines, um, and you know, they so they were they they were all good actors who were creating creating background stuff for their characters in their heads and playing them accordingly. And you know, um, the fact that nobody knew exactly how terrible it was going to be when the chestburster came out. You get really good reactions. Oh my gosh, I can't remember her her name suddenly. Lambert, the the actress who plays Lambert, she got sprayed with cow's blood and wasn't expecting it. So when you hear her go, "Oh my god!" in there, that's really her saying it. It's not acting, you know. Um, and it's not. It's it takes the concept of the the you know the horror stalker and it, it elevates it. Um, I've been a huge huge Giger fan. Since the, since you know since Aliens, I guess because that's when I was first starting watching it. You know, I watched Alien after I watched Aliens. Um, 
but um, so much so that in in uh, in the late '80s, Giger's biomechanics book it wasn't available in this country yet. It was uh, you know there was a German edition, and the comic shop that I would go to had a copy of it there, uh, and it was in German. So of course I had no idea what the hell it said, but I'd stare at it all the time. And uh, interesting, this keeps coming back to my mom. But well, my mom bought it for me because she loved Alien also. So she bought it for me and a German English dictionary for Christmas that year. <laughs> <laughs> and I read that book so much; it was soft cover. Like when they released them in this country, they released them in hardcover in English. So I have I have them like that now. But that that German soft cover book, I opened it so many times, it fell apart. I used it like to plaster my wall with Giger images at one point. So you know, I. I um, yeah, it's definitely alien. And in fact, as much as Cameron's film is is brilliant, I feel that it kind of diminished the alien in a little a little bit. Um, I really am a fan of the whole egg morphing uh, concept, which I don't know. Have you seen the director's cut of Alien? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So uh, I, I'm happy that that scene is back in there, and I think there's a way to make it work and with Cameron's stuff. And I kind of have done that in the game. So you have, there's kind of both options going on. You've already touched on it a little bit, but I, I do want to talk a little bit about what it is in the Alien universe that you think makes for a good RPG setting. Well, I mean, one of the things that I really like is, like, Free League. When I first, when, when, when the first, when the license first got to Free League, um, and I was talking to them about it, I, I had ideas for um, uh, sanity rules, and and fear and post-traumatic stress disorder and they love that and I think based on their other games that they already had plans to do stuff like that but the one thing that they that they brought to the table that I really love was the concept of the cinematic adventure where these things and chariot is designed this way where you'll be lucky if one of the players is going to get out alive you know it's not it's not designed as a it's not balanced like a regular role playing campaign would be you're 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 screwed. I mean, and that's pretty much, that's exactly the way it is in the actual movies, you know. Um, Sigourney made it through three films, but everyone around her was dying, <laughs> you know. Um, and then and then eventually she lost it too. So it's, um, it's I guess what I really like is that's, it's a different, um, it's a different take on it. It's, it's, it's really a survival game. I mean, Call of Cthulhu is like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just think... Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I have been I've been building these these situations where there is a way out when I'm writing the adventure stuff, but good luck finding that. Um, and when I've heard what ha- what happens when people are playing, it becomes this ridiculous slaughter, and everybody's having fun as they're being slaughtered, which which I really love too because I remember you know back in the day people being pissed off that their characters are getting killed, but watching at Gen Con watching people play the alien game, they're enjoying the fact that they're getting horribly maimed <laughs> so it's it's a totally different uh take on things gotcha now you mentioned observing people play the game have you been able to run it for anyone yet no here's the thing um when i worked for rockstar games for 17 years i used to be a huge video game guy and then working on video game stuff for all that time i stopped giving a damn about video games i just like you don't want to work on it you know uh, I'm sorry, you don't want to play it if you're working on it. It's like, mm-hmm. it's bad enough that you're spending 12 hours a day on this. Do you really want to spend your spare time as well? And which sucks because I actually never finished Alien Isolation. 
because of this. And I, I loved what I played in it. I need to get back to it and finish it because it's an amazing game. But when it comes to when it comes to the alien game, it's like I didn't write the rule system, so that's Free League's thing. I just wrote the the setting and the adventure itself. And you know, the I I tell them I tell them things like there's no rule for this, but I think it should be something like that, and then they'll build a rule based on my suggestion. You know, or they are they like yeah, we already have that from our other games, so we'll just import it. You know, um, <clears throat> so writing all this stuff, the last thing I want to do is game master. I really want to play. I want I want to be at someone else at the mercy of someone else. So no, I have not game mastered it. I enjoy watching other people play it though. Is there an aspect of well, not only just uh, you know you spend twelve hours a day doing something, you don't want that to become your fun as well. Is there also an aspect of now that you kind of know how the sausage is made, you you that enjoyment kind of dies out a little bit? I don't know if that's the case because I, I mean, well, I mean, all right, like for instance, I would really love to play it. Even though I know I know what this alien can do, I know what that can do. I know what because I've you know been in the trenches with it. But I still love to play it because a game master is going to throw something at me that I would not expect if it's a good game master. Um, but um, I don't know. It's so funny because like I spent 22 years obviously running my own adventures, and now it almost feels arrogant to run my adventure now that it's published. Does that is that weird? <laughs> There's some psychology there, right? It is, but it isn't. Because okay. I've I've played in games. One of my proudest moments as an RPG player was I got to play in a convention Deadlands game with Shane Hensley, the creator. Cool, very cool. And he he seems to really enjoy running games in his setting because he knows it inside and out. He kind of knows what people love and don't necessarily love about the game and he's able to kind of get the best out of it and so from from that aspect I, I see where he's coming from but i also see where you're coming from with with this and and saying that you don't necessarily you don't necessarily feel comfortable being like look at this thing that i made i am now going to run you through it because clearly i am the only one who can yeah 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 it doesn't feel right you know it's i'm i'm really i'm really happy with all the positive feedback i get my favorite quote that's uh, somebody wrote online. I don't know who this person was, but I thanked them profusely after reading it. Was "Chariot of the Gods redeems the Alien prequels," and I was like, "Wow, okay." <laughs> Someone enjoyed it. <laughs> no, I had a lot of fun using elements of the prequels in it. Um, you know, the the black goo and whatnot from Prometheus. Uh, I think that that I think Prometheus gets a bad rap, but that's another story. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that's easily uh, can make your campaign much more interesting if you include that stuff rather than just stick to the alien itself. Um, and and another thing too is that to me one of the things that I wanted to make sure and with any of the adventures that I'm writing I'm, I'm definitely doing this. The alien needs to stay alien. It's like we 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 it needs to do bizarre things. You know, it, 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 I remember watching the first movie and it's like. What the hell is it doing? Why is it standing like that? Wait, what, what is it? What, is it looking at us? What is it doing? What is it doing? You know, that's that's what you need to feel from this thing. It has become, because it's been you know, Alien versus Predator and all this other stuff, and we've seen it for so many times now, it's lost a lot of that mystique. And <laughs> I've tried to make it so that in the game, it's like, yeah, okay, you're, here comes the alien, so now you're dead. You know, it, it, it's, the, it's the worst thing you can face. Um, you know, obviously, Queen would be worse than Alien, but the point is, the Xenomorph, it's, it, uh, 
itself is the worst thing you'll face. So, I don't, did I answer a question? What was the question? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah, that that answers a question. As far as kind of keeping that that mystery alive for your players, is that something where if someone wanted to come into a game and play an alien, that would be a hard pass from you? See, that's interesting, because originally I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if you could play an alien, right? <laughs> and despite the fact everything I just told you, Fox themselves actually you know, gave me a quote smackdown, end quote, about that. And I was like, oh my god, they're so right, that's exactly what you know, I, I I want the mystique I'm trying to achieve. I almost screwed up. They said the alien is not alien anymore if you play him. So what I was originally planning on in order to keep players in the game was that if you died from a chestburster, you could then play that chestburster as it grows up, you know, and then you can go after the players. So there's actually something we've worked in. I don't want to give any spoilers for Chariot uh, for people who haven't played it yet. But there's something that relates to Prometheus where you can play something that is, quote, alien, end quote, but it is not the alien. So your character uh, undergoes a metamorphosis. And uh, so you, the, I've, I've seen players have a lot of fun with that, you know, turning on their turning on their uh, teammates and bashing the hell out of them. Um, but again, it's not like those D&D games where the whole party falls apart because they're mad at each other because someone ate all the chips and then they just start <laughs> slaying each other. You know, this is like, this is someone, people are actually getting into the character, you know, um, and that, that's one of the things that's another great thing about the cinematics, um, cinematic scenarios that they're, they're doing, like Free League was like, okay, we need each one of these characters to have a secret goal, and they will do anything to achieve that goal in this, and the other players don't know what that goal is, so watching people play a Gen Con, I was watching these people play by their goals, and living it up, you know, it was not... It was not a restriction for them. It was like, oh, I'm going to do everything I can to be this jerk. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it, it, it's, it's really a lot of fun. It's really a lot of fun. Now, as far as the setting is concerned, uh, what are we looking at in terms of the alien timeline for this game and this adventure? The game takes place in 2183, which is about four years after Aliens and Alien 3. Basically, the fallout of what happened with Hadley's Hope is... Um, is happening right now. Uh, the there are factions in the government who um, think that the UPP, which is the United uh, the Union of Progressive Peoples, that's actually from William Gibson's original script, um, they exist in this. Um, there's factions in the uh, United Americans government that think that uh, the UPP nuked Hadley Soap, but then the question is, why did they? Why would that have happened? Um, is there some kind of, was there some kind of, uh, there's rumors that there was some kind of uh, biological weapon being tested there. And it's like, it's, this whole, this whole thing is building up, is building up to, to uh, like a power check. So uh, the, the galaxy is on the verge of war, I guess is the best way to describe it. And in this all, there's the aliens and there is something else out there, <laughs> which is uh, a game changer. And I'm not going to say what it is, but smart, smart alien fans will probably know what it is. When it comes to wanting to embody your favorite characters and character types from the alien universe, is there pretty much freedom to say you can play anything from a, a trucker to a colonial marine to if you wanted to newt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's even there's even a, a kid template that, uh, for to take care of the newt type scenario. But yeah, um, 
it's it's one of the things I was I I I I was kind of insistent on, and I was glad that they embraced it. Is that I want to also have people be able to play roles that you wouldn't have normally seen in the movies, but clearly must exist in this universe. So, so it's important to me that you can um, you can basically be any aspect uh, of anything that would make sense in this universe, uh, rather than just the colonial marines that we've seen a million times, or even the space truckers. Um, uh, one of the things that uh, you could play a colonial marshal, so you could be the sheriff on a colony, pretty much. Um, you can. Um, uh, one of the things that we're we're going to be working into it is being journalists as well. So um, you can. There's things that they, they, these things must exist. It's just logical. So the universe is a bigger place than what we've seen. But uh, one of the things that I've been trying to draw upon is all the comics and novels, and it's like. There's lots of stuff that in the comics, from the, especially the earlier comics, um, that canon-wise don't quite make sense. But there's some really strong concepts in there that you could take that, hey, you know, that comic's a little weird, but maybe that's a legend about what really happened. You know, um, and you can work that into building your campaign setting. So it's a really rich universe that goes beyond just the movies. Absolutely, and that's that's one of the things that I personally love so much about the Alien universe. Even the stuff that people regard as not that great that, that's come out of the, the Alien franchise is just fascinating in how deep and how how it mines kind of the, the, the small nuggets that are there in the background of the, the movies and, and even the comics. And the funny thing is, is that, um, and I, I noticed this, like, okay, so... Uh, we backtrack for a second. I was hired by Fox to write the Predator Bible. Um, this is when the Predator was coming out uh, last year. Um, so it was, it was the year before that I was writing the Predator Bible for them. And basically what my task was to do is to read every comic, read every novel, play every video game, watch the films in depth, and create an encyclopedia for all this stuff. Um, <clears throat> and, you know, I mean, I'll, let's face it, there are some really bad Predator comics out there. Um and there are some video games that you're like, okay, this is just ridiculous. Um, but at the same time, I was shocked because I started to realize, reading all this stuff, themes that I don't think that I don't think that any of these people intended to be working together on. You know what I'm saying? But there are certain things that happen all the time that just that aren't necessarily the films, but are a logical extension of what we've seen in the film. Uh, a predator behavior. Uh, that a predator will always do this, even though we didn't see him do it in the film. It's just logical. Your mind filled in that gap. The, the, all these writers, their mind filled in that gap, and they did the same thing without realizing it. You know, so it's it's it. There's behavior and stuff like that in this universe. And when I started working on the alien role playing game, going through all that stuff, you can see the same thing there. It's like the universe suggests certain things that everybody is going to pick up on subconsciously and do their version or their take of how that could fit into this universe. So it's living and breathing. It's, 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 it's the fact that, you know, star Wars isn't the only thing that's had stuff out for 30 years, 40 years. Now you mentioned predator and I know that those two properties have, have met several times. Uh, as of right now, where, where we're sitting with this game, do the predators have any sort of presence in, in what you've done so far? No, they do not. I don't know what Disney is planning on doing, but I can tell you that what what we were talking about at Fox was looking at it as this. Um, there's Alien, and there's Predator, and then there's AVP. 
and the three have nothing to do with each other. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I mean, part of that came from Shane Black and Ridley Scott because they thought, and I, th- I agree with this, I th- they thought that the, uh, the properties were diminished by bringing them together like that. The alien just became a monster, and the predator was just this thing that was hunting the alien. There's a lot more stories that can be told uh, from both of them. Um, you know, and the direction that Ridley's taken things in, well, not everybody thinks it's the best. I think that there's some amazing things that he's done and there's some amazing places it can go. So, and in regards to The Predator, um, the Adrian Brody movie, I really enjoyed. Uh, I really liked the idea that, you know, we weren't on Earth all of a sudden. You know, was just, we're on this game preserve planet. And it's just, again, it's a logical extension that they probably do this. Um, and it, it, I actually just rewatched it uh, two nights ago. Um, and uh, I, I just think that there's directions you can take this in, and yet it still felt like a Predator film, but at the same time, a whole bunch of things were new. Now, this game comes out on December the 10th, two is days it? after my birthday, for those of you looking for, for gifts for, for Ryan. Is Ryan going to be at um, uh, PAX Unplugged or no? Unfortunately, no. I, I will not be at PAX Unplugged <clears throat> this year. I, I will look into to the logistics around that for next year, along with Gen Con. Because I believe the plan is for us to have copies for that, which is nice. four days before the 10th. So the game comes out on December the 10th, uh, over or under two weeks before someone throws a Predator into one of their home games. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure it's already happened since the anyone who's got the... Uh, uh, if you pre-ordered it, you got to download uh, a truncated version of the rules and you got Chariot. Uh, I'm sure it's already happened. I know... I know that I know that people have already been as soon as it came out and people looked at Chariot, they were like, Well, I'm replacing all these things with just this alien instead and then they realized that really there was a reason why I did what I did. And they stopped it. So I'm sure there's people who've already gone and made predator predators. Why wouldn't they? You know? It, there's there's those, there's always those people who, who are huge fans of A V P. Um and there are good A V P stories out there. Um uh, I don't know if I would consider the two AVP movies necessarily the best version of AVP out there. But, um, so yeah, no, I'm sure there's already predators lurking about in people's campaigns. Absolutely. I, I will give shout outs to uh, Rebellion for the 2010 AVP game. That game's a lot of fun. The other ones are good as well, depending on your tolerance for late 90s, early 2000s control schemes. But I'll leave it at that. <laughs> well, some of the, some of the early comics were really great also like you said this this is being put out by free league uh those of you who are well into rpgs will know them from tales from the loop and uh things from the flood and forbidden lands mutant year zero they've done a whole lot of things they're very well regarded uh i have a lot of faith that this is going to be a great game and i look forward to running it awesome i'd love to hear how it turns out Andrew, as we're kind of reaching the end of our time here, uh, we will circle back around as, as you requested, now that you've had some time to ruminate on it. If you could put anything on a t-shirt, Andrew, what would it be? I totally forgot. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel like it has to be something really important, because... <laughs> oh my god. Okay, so I'm going to take your question, and I'm not necessarily going to answer it. I'm going to instead tell you a t-shirt story. Alright. Um... So, uh, which kind of relates in a lot of ways. Um, have you ever seen, like, on Facebook, like, these weird um, bootleg T-shirt companies that pop up 
There's a lot of them that use like covers for role playing games and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's like if you don't grab this, it's it, you're never going to get this because there's clearly you know, I think Wizards of the Coast is never going to make a Star Frontiers shirt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So um, I, I I I am I am guilty of buying several of these. Uh, I have a BattleTech shirt and a Star Frontier shirt. You know uh, uh, the uh, I have a blue shirt that's the expert box uh, for Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but um, one of the properties that I worked on was Space 1999. Uh, I did a couple of graphic novels for that. Uh, and once I saw something come up for Space 1999, and so I'm going through it, and the cover of one of my comics was there. And not only was the cover there, but my name. It's on this bootleg T-shirt. It says <laughs> over the logo. It says Gaska, <laughs> and so I, I immediately bought this shirt, <laughs> you know. And it's funny because like the fans who saw it were outraged. They're stealing money from you. I'm like, no, no, no. That's no money that I would ever see. <laughs> it's amazing that that exists, and I'm so glad because that shut down. And every time they've offered it again, I've never seen that shirt again. <laughs> so I have like one of the only versions of it and I just love it because it's, I, I, I was like, someone made a bootleg t-shirt of a comic that I made. Mom, I'm somebody now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on a t-shirt. <laughs> so yeah, that's my t-shirt story for you. I'm sorry it doesn't fulfill your requirements like like they usually do, but um... <laughs> it's all right. That, that works. Good, good. Andrew, just as we're at the end of our time, um, I'm going to turn the rest of this episode over to you. Just anything you want to promote, anything uh, you want to put out there into the world. You've got a you've got a microphone in front of you, and I won't edit out anything that you say, <laughs> even if I ask you to. <laughs> if you ask me to, I'll take it out. So you, you you can find out what's going on with me on my Facebook page. Um, uh, Andrew E. Gaska, or on my author page on Facebook, which is Andrew E. C. Gaska. Um, the, I, I, I talk to fans. I like, love to talk to fans. So anybody wants to ask me questions you know, about anything, I will get to you. Um, I am going to be at PAX Unplugged, which is December 6th, something like that. Um, and uh, I will be signing books there for Alien. Um, it's I'm very excited because, you know, it's going to be the premiere of it. Um, You can find me. I I write about Alien and Star Trek a lot on my blog. It's roguereviewer.wordpress.com. The word rogue, the word reviewer, all as one. And, yeah, uh, I've written several Planet of the Apes novels. If you're a Planet of the Apes fan, my last one just came out last November. It's Death of Planet of the Apes. So, um that's pretty much everything that's going on. I'm living in alien world right now with the products that are coming out. Uh, so yeah, just hit me up on Facebook. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. This is a great episode. I'm glad that we were able to, to finally actually have a conversation with each other. Yeah, no, it's great. After just randomly connecting, because I think we're both friends with Brian JL glass. Oh, you're friends with Brian. Oh, I'm good friends with Brian. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That story is actually one of my favorites because I was walking around Heroes Con in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I'm from, okay. just in in a complete and total daze. 
I call it con circle syndrome where people just walk around the floor with nothing to do, nowhere to go. And they just act like zombies essentially. Right. And I was roused from my fog with the most jolly voice I have ever heard going, you, sir, over there, come here. And so I turned and it's Brian and his wife and he has a copy of, uh, the most recent issue of Mice Templar at the time, and he hands it to him, and he goes, this is for you. And so I just have a conversation with him. It turns out he's the nicest guy ever. No, Brian, Brian is a great friend. Um, he, he, he should have been, a, like, in another life, he was like a carnival, a carnival barker. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and he, he like does cartwheels and all this other crazy. I mean, he literally does cartwheels down an aisle every now and then just to get people's attention. And I'm just like, dude, you know, you're getting on there. You might break a hip. But so far, he's been fine. Um, you know, he's a great guy and you're right. He's, he's incredibly jovial. Gotcha. Well guys, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, next week we are finally completing the Holy Trinity of the, uh, the frog God games world, because I will be talking finally to Casey Christofferson. I'm looking forward to it. All of Levi's friends have been great so far. So I am definitely looking forward to my conversation with Casey Until then, uh, Dungeon Masters, best of luck in pulling one over on your players. And players, best of luck in your roles when your Dungeon Master pulls one over on you. (laughs)